If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And as we heard uh, Jonathan in our announcements for the, today, uh, today's message is the first in a new series following the idea of if, just the word if, I elf. And what we're going to do, our the Lord willing, leading us by the Holy Spirit to be selecting various verses of Scripture throughout the Bible that begin with that word, if, and trust that the Lord will bless and the Holy Spirit will bless as we develop those themes for you. Today we're looking at this one that uh, was spoken by none other than the devil himself concerning our Lord's deity. And so the title of the message is, If You Are the Son of God. Let's begin actually in chapter 3 and verse 13 because it is the pronouncement by the heavenly father that this was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased that the devil based his question, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. So beginning with Matthew chapter three and verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, or John, permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, we, let me pause here for just a moment and, and say to you, now we, we believe in what's called the Trinity, uh, the, th the three heads of the Father. We, we don't believe that there's, we believe that there's one God, but that he has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is one of those passages of Scripture when all three persons of the Godhead appear. There is, of course, Jesus, the Son of God. There is the Holy Spirit who comes upon him as a dove. And there's this voice that doesn't identify it as the Father, but we believe that it is. That is because he's, this voice says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So this is a passage of Scripture in which all three persons of the Godhead Father, Son, and Holy Spirit appear at the same time. One God, and yet revealed himself to us in these three ways. Going on now with chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now we know that our Lord in this passage of Scripture was tempted by the devil at three times. However, to know that he was there for 40 days and nights in the wilderness suggests that this was an ongoing process. 
He was tempted more than just three times. I believe the meaning of the passage is that he was tempted all during these 40 days and nights. And you might say that as he comes to the end of those 40 days, these things are kind of summarized as the three major things that he was confronted with. So the first one was, turn these stones into bread. But let's go on to verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and laid him and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, now here's the word if again. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, in verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these things I will give you, what? If, there it is again, if you will fall down and worship me. So three times in these recorded instances, the word if is used by the devil. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Now, the word if is, um, introduces a conditional clause. Um, it, it's a, an assumption that something is true. But the word if can also be translated since. Since. So if we were to go back and reread the verse, Satan would be saying to Jesus, since you are the son of God and you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. So three times he uses this term, if or since, since you are the son of God. There are three basic ideas that I want to trust by the Holy Spirit's help to develop for you this morning. They're listed for you on your outline. And the first thing that we want to examine, of course, is that this is a time and an occasion where Satan admitted the truth about Jesus. Now, basically, Satan is a liar. But here he speaks the truth, although it is coated with disguise, with doubt and uncertainty. But he's admitting, since you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, there have been others in the scriptures who have admitted that Christ is the Son of God. Let me give you some examples. God the Father said that Jesus was his son. We've already looked at the passage in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and the heavens were opened, and the Spirit of God descended on them as a dove, and a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we believe that this one who is speaking is none other than God the Father. And God the Holy Father has said, Jesus Christ is my son. But not only that, you go back into the Old Testament, the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the passage that we normally use during the Christmas season. But hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born in an earthly experience, Isaiah prophesied, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. So the son having already been existing, but a child that was born, a child will be born, a son will be given. But not only that, Simon Peter admitted that Jesus Christ was the son of God. 
When they were in the area of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked the question, Who do men say that I am? They responded by saying, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. But then Jesus zeroed in on them and he said, But who do you say that I am? And it is Simon Peter who says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter's understanding of who Jesus was and is came as a revelation from the Father. God revealed it to him. He said, you didn't get this from flesh and blood. In other words, nobody just motioned at you, come over here and let me tell you who Jesus is. Nobody did that to him. He didn't read it in a book, although there were copies of the Old Testament prophecies. God, Jesus said to him, my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. You understand, too, that this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to convince you and to convict you of the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And Jesus said to him, that came to you as divine revelation. The Bible tells us that we cannot say that Jesus is Lord without the assistance of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Simon Peter admitted, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nathaniel, in John chapter 1 and verse 49, was introduced to Jesus, and Nathaniel said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Then there's the Ethiopian eunuch, that individual who was out in the desert on his way back to uh, uh, his home. Uh, Philip was led by the Holy Spirit to go out and witness to him. They were sitting in the chariot. He was explaining to him the prophecy of Isaiah, uh, explained to him that the one he was talking about in Isaiah was none other than the Lord Jesus. They came to a body of water, maybe a pond or a lake or a stream, an oasis of some kind, but there was water there. And the eunuch said, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And, and, and Philip said to him, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so on the basis of his confession of faith, they both went down into the water and Philip baptized him. But the eunuch admitted, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then, of course, there are the demons. The demons are the fallen angels who rebelled against God along with Lucifer or Satan. We'll get into more of this in just a moment. But uh, when, when the Satan rebelled against the Lord, uh, we are told in the scriptures that a third of all the angelic host joined his rebellion. And those who joined his rebellion were excommunicated or kicked out of heaven, and uh, they are called demons. And uh, they are in the world today. Uh, the devil is not omnipresent as our Lord is, and so he cannot be everywhere at the same time. Now, he can get around pretty fast, uh, but his demons do a lot of his work for him. And uh, so these demons uh, can possess individuals, and on one occasion, as recorded in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29, uh, Jesus approached an individual who was possessed with many demons to cast them out. And these demons recognized Jesus, and this is what they said. What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So the demons recognized Jesus to be the son of God. 
Now we come to Satan. Satan himself said, if or since you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So he joins a host of other individuals who likewise had admitted that Jesus was the son of God. Now, it takes more than simply admitting that for you to be a believer. It doesn't mean that everybody who says, well, yes, I believe that Jesus was the son of God because it involves also a commitment. The demons are not committed to Jesus. They are opposed to him. Satan is not committed to Jesus. He is opposed to him. He is his adversary. He is our adversary. Now, let's think for just a few moments about Satan. Where did he come from? And, and what is his purpose? Well, go back with me in your mind as we rehearse some of the verses of Scripture. The Bible teaches us that in the beginning there was nothing that existed but God. No one nor anything existed. The Scripture says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. So there was a time, if, and it's hard to say that because there was a time when time wasn't either. God is not limited to time. Time is a part of creation as much as trees and plants and animals and people. So there was a time when time did not exist. There will be a time when time will not exist. Eternity is always in existence. But for the lack of a better way of explaining it, there was a time when nothing existed but God. That being true then means that everything else, including the angels, were created by the Father. And Jesus had a part in that. In John chapter 1, in the first three verses, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in my translation, as I've shared with you before, anytime you come across the word, Word, and it's spelled with a capital W, that is a reference to the Lord Jesus. So we could go back and say, In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God, now notice verse three, all things came being through him and apart from him, Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 10, he was in the world, the world was made through him and the world did not know him. So John tells us in his gospel that Jesus played a major role in the creation of everything that is in existence, including the angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6. For there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So Paul even says that Jesus was a part of creation. He created everything. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, all three played a major role in the creation of everything that is in existence. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, in the first two verses, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, 
in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And you, verse 10 of Hebrews says, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Now, so why am I referring to all of these verses of scripture? Because of this. If Jesus created all things, this means that Jesus also created the angels, including Lucifer. Jesus did not, now listen to me, Jesus did not create Satan. He created Lucifer. The name means the light bearer or the shining one. He created Lucifer and Lucifer became Satan. Lucifer was with Jesus in heaven. Never thought about that before until we begin looking at this. But Jesus and Lucifer were in heaven at the same time. Jesus created him. And, and, and he was there. Lucifer worshipped Jesus. Because it is believed that Lucifer, the light barrier, was perhaps the one who was in charge and responsible in leading all of the other angels in their worship of the Lord. He was kind of like the choir director. <laughs> uh, not that I'm calling you Satan here, but, uh, <laughs> but, but Lucifer was the choir director for all the angels. It was his responsibility to lead all of them in the worship and the praise of the Father and of the Son. And so he was there along with Jesus. And it is believed that Lucifer was created to lead all of the angels in the worship of God. And so in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, Since you are the Son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. The audacity, the unmitigated audacity of this angel who was created would turn to the one who created him and give him an order because that's what the word command means. He didn't say, would you please do this? He gave an order. Since you're the son of God, command that these stones be turned into bread. The gospel of Luke, it is suggested uh, by the use of his terminology, uh, is, is pointing to one particular stone. Like, like he said, you see this stone right here? You're hungry. You've been out here for 40 days and nights. You haven't eaten anything. Turn this stone into a piece of bread and eat it. And satisfy your hunger. Luke chapter 4 speak to this stone. It may become a loaf of bread as if pointing to one particular one. God's ordinary creatures may suffer. They cannot help it. But if you are the son of God, you are unworthy to have to suffer like this. So speak to this stone and turn it into bread. Command, tell, order, speak. He's giving Jesus an order. Erwin Lutzer, who is the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, has written a book about the devil. This is what he says about this command that uh, Lucifer or Satan gives to Jesus. In previous ages, Lucifer and Christ had often met in the glories of heaven. After Lucifer's plunge into sin, he found it impossible to tempt Jesus in the heavens above. In other words, there's no sin. In, he, he couldn't, when he was in heaven, tempt Jesus to do this, is what he's saying. So he had to be outside of heaven in order to do it. 
But now that the word was made flesh, Satan thought that he might strike a blow to Christ's humanity. Though Christ as God could not sin, Christ might be able to sin as man. At least that must have been what Satan thought. So Satan with unmitigated audacity attempts to do what he most surely knew was impossible. He tries to tempt and triumph over the very Christ who created him. Satan is orthodox in his understanding of who Christ is. He knew Christ to be the son of God. The evil one's theology on the inspiration of the Bible, the existence of God and the person of Christ is more accurate than some theological liberals who deny those truths. The devil believes and trembles, yet he goes on rebelling he has never found it easy to act on what he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. He knows that, and yet he rebels against it. So Satan admits that Christ is the Son of God. Doesn't mean that he's a follower of Christ, he's not. So let's go to the second idea, and that is that Christ announced the truth about Satan. And uh, we want to begin with how Lucifer became Satan. And for this, we go to two Old Testament uh, references, the prophecy of Isaiah and the prophecy of Ezekiel uh, that we believe um, give to us the, the story of how Lucifer, the bright and shining one, became the devil, Satan, our adversary, the prince of darkness. In Isaiah chapter 14, you have what many scholars believe is a, a double meaning here. It is addressed to the king of Babylon, uh, but it is believed that it was Satan who was behind the scene uh, in, inciting and motivating the, the, the king of Babylon to have this idea. And many think that uh, this is exactly what happened to Lucifer that turned him into the devil. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning with verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. Sometimes the word star is used in reference to not the physical stars in the galaxies, but the, the angels. And so he's addressing Lucifer. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, now notice there are five I wills that Satan is saying here. So he says, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. Notice I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So it is believed that what was happening here is that Lucifer became jealous of God because God was receiving all of the glory and the praise and the worship of the angelic host and, and he was the number one angel of all of them and he began to covet all of that praise and worship for himself. So what he is attempting to do here is that I want to usurp the one who is sitting on the throne. Who's sitting on the throne? God is. And so he wants to replace God. He wants to take God off the throne. He wants to sit on the throne and he wants all of them to worship him. This is in one of the temptations that he, give, he gives to Jesus. He parades all the nations of the world before him. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these. 
So he, he, he has this self-will, a desire to be God, but he can't be God. That's why he says, I will be like God. But then go to the book of Ezekiel, the 28th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, beginning with verse 11. Now here again, you have a reference to the king of Tyre, but behind him, motivating him and exciting him to say what he does and thinks is none other than Satan himself. So in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 11, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you have the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now the king of Tyre was not in Eden. So Satan was, remember it was Satan who tempted Adam and Eve to disobey the Lord and take of the, of the forbidden fruit. And so in verse 13 of Ezekiel 28, it says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis, the lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. Now notice he says, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. This is uh, believed to be a... a, a reference to the ability, something about, uh, uh, about him that, that he had the ability built within him to, to lead the angels in their worship of the Lord. They refer to it here as the workmanship of your settings and the sockets that were in you. Then it goes on, he says, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. This was given to you when you were created. So the devil was not born The devil was created as Lucifer. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers and I placed you there. It is believed that the angels have various ranks and that he was the top dog as we might say. He was number one. He had the closest position to the Lord himself. He was a covering angel over the Lord is what he's saying here. You were the anointed cherub who covers and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Now notice, until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence. You sinned, therefore I have cast you as profane. And now the Lord turns the table on him. Prior to this, from Isaiah, he says, I will do this. I will, I will, I will. Well, the Lord has his I wills too. So now he says in the prophecy of Ezekiel, he says, I have cast you as profane from the mountains of God. I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you and all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be forever. So this is the Lord's way of saying, I'm going to put you down and, and the people you're, you're going to be exposed to the people for the coward that you are, for the liar that you are, and you're going to spend eternity in hell. 
And so this is how Lucifer became Satan. He was puffed up in his heart with pride over who he was and his ability and coveting the worship that was being given to the Lord. Now Christ describes Satan for us. And he doesn't have any favorable thing to say whatsoever about him. So in John chapter 10, I believe it's written for you and printed out for you on your bulletin. In John 10, 10, he says, the thief, <laughs> right out first on the docket, he says, you're a thief. You have stolen. And he says, the thief comes only. And I believe every word of the Bible is divinely inspired. And so he says, the only reason he's here, he's got one purpose in mind. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. On the other hand, he says, I have come that you may have life and that it might be abundant. So he calls the devil a thief. Now, our Lord is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth. So he is the embodiment of truth. He's God. God cannot and will not lie. Anything and everything God says is the truth. So he's telling us the truth about the devil. He says right up front, the devil is a thief. He is a killer. He steals and he destroys. So the thief comes only to steal. The thief comes only to kill. The thief comes only to destroy. Jesus also in John 8, 44 calls G, uh, uh, Satan the devil. Now the word devil means slanderer. So it is part of the devil's nature to slander us. Uh, you go to the book of Job and it says that on a certain occasion there were stars and angels that appeared and uh, to report to the, the Lord on his throne. Among them was the devil and uh, the Lord not that he was ignorant of what he had been doing. He just said, what have you been doing, Satan? He said, well, I've been going up and down the earth. Well, what do you think about my man Job? Oh, uh, you have favored him, and he would be a fool not to honor you. If you take away everything you've given to him, he'll curse you to your face. So his purpose before the throne was to slander the name of Job. He does the same thing about you to the throne. When you sin, you're a child of God. You do something you shouldn't. You sin. You break one of the commandments. The old devil says, aha, I told you. Look what he did. Look what she did. It's the devil's responsibility to slander you before the throne of grace because he's a thief and he's a liar and he steals and kills and destroys. Not only that, he's a murderer. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. So that's his nature. He murders. He, he incites people to murder one another. All of this chaos and, and murdering and thieving and stealing and lying and cheating that's going on in the world today. The wars and rumors of wars, all excited by the devil. He's the one behind all of it because he's out to destroy everybody and the whole world. He's a murderer. Furthermore, he's a liar. In John 8, 44, Jesus said whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. I, my own thoughts about that is that every time I say a lie or you say a lie or anybody who says a lie, it's the devil who's behind all of it because he, he, he's a liar himself and he wants to empower you and entice you and excite you to be liars too. So he says he's not only a liar, but he's the father of lies. 
And then he's called the prince of demons. Jesus said, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying of Jesus, he's possessed by Beelzebub. Who in the world's Beelzebub? Well, uh, and they go on to say, when he casts out a demon, he does it by the power of Beelzebub. The word Beelzebub means the Lord of the flies. And it has to do with uh, dung or filth. There were those who worshiped that. And so in essence, when they called Jesus Beelzebub, they were saying, you are the God of filth. And uh, not a very polite way to describe our Lord. But uh, they said, you, you do this by the power of Beelzebub. You cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, because fly dung and filth attracts flies. But then he's also referred to as the prince of this world, John 12, 31. Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So it's called the ruler of the world. The world here, the term is used not in reference to the material things, but to the, that uh, philosophy and system and so forth that is anti-God. Now, before we get into the final thought, and I know my time's running out, but I, there's something else I've got to say to you about the devil. The devil's a liar. He's the father of lies. He hates Jesus. But there is coming a time when Satan and everybody else in this world will bow their knees before the throne of God and Satan will admit that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me show you. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 10. Philippians 2, 5 through 10. Jesus had this attitude. He said, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. Doesn't mean that he ceased being God. It just means that he took on human form. He took the form of a bond servant made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now notice verse 9. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, Jesus, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now notice verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, how many knees? Every knee. Every knee will bow. Where and of whom? Of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Well, who is in heaven? All of the angels all of those who have preceded us in death, all of the saints of God are there. Although they know it already, they will at the command bow their knees and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But not only those on heaven, he says, of those who are on the earth. Because when Jesus comes back and, and to, to rapture us and to bring the world to an end, there will be people on the earth. And the people who are on this earth, believer and non-believer, likewise, everyone will bow and admit that Jesus Christ is Lord. But then notice something else. It says under the earth. Under the earth is a reference to those people who have died. What he is saying here is that everybody everywhere, angelic as well as human, will bow down and admit that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Without exception, that includes Lucifer. It includes Satan, the devil. 
He will be made to say, Jesus Christ is your son and he is Lord. Likewise, all of us will. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get saved. It just means that those who have rejected Jesus before they're sent off into hell will finally admit, God, you were right. And I'm going to have to spend eternity in hell because I've rejected that. I have rejected your son. I have refused to believe in him. And therefore, I'm going to have to be in punishment for all eternity. Let me give you another reference. Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those who are on his left. Now, this is a, the parable about the about the, the sheep and the goats and so forth. And he'll divide all the people from put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other and to the, to the sheep he'll say, come blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom and so forth. But then he'll turn to those who are on his left. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, heaven is a prepared place for those who love Jesus. Hell is a prepared place for those who don't. And the devil and the demons and everybody who has been or ever will be born in this world who do not believe and accept Jesus Christ as the only begotten son of God will spend eternity in hell. And Jesus' word said, depart into hell, the place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So the devil is going to spend all eternity in hell, and the devil is not responsible for, nor is he in control of hell. Oftentimes you see these little cartoons uh, depicting the devil and dressed in a red pair of underwear, long-handled underwear, with a tail hanging out the back and horns sticking out of his head. He's got a pitchfork and he's stabbing everybody. That's cartoons. It's not real. Satan is not, nor will he ever be in charge of hell, then who will? God. Because he said hell is a place that's been prepared for the devil. Well, who prepares it? Jesus does. And the devil's doom, his ultimate end results is going to be he's going to spend eternity in hell and he is going to suffer for all eternity and everybody else who's there with him. Anyone whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life will be in hell. <clears throat> Notice Revelation 20 and verse 10. Revelation 20 verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There will never be any relief from it. There'll never be a, 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 a coffee break or a break time. It will be torment day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that's where the Lucifer is going to be. That's where the demons are going to be. That's where everybody who's not believers in God and in Jesus Christ will spend all eternity in hell. Now, quickly... Let me just share some thoughts with you. We know the three temptations. We don't have the time to, to look at all of those. Let me, let me just share. You know, Jesus won the victory over these temptations that the devil gave to him during those 40 days and nights and these last three. Jesus won a victory over the devil and his temptations. And you can too because you see you're tempted too. 
You and I are tempted to do evil. The Bible tells us that, that uh, the, the Lord doesn't tempt us to do evil. He, he cannot be tempted to do evil, but we can. And anytime you're tempted to do wrong, anytime you're tempted to do evil, it's because the devil or the demons are getting after you. But you do not have to see, it's not a sin to be tempted. If it's a sin to be tempted, then Jesus was a sinner because he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Even on one occasion, he had to turn to Peter and say, get behind me, devil. The devil was trying to get Peter to convince Jesus to not to go the way of the cross. And so the devil was constantly snapping at the heels of our Lord. But Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He committed no sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted. The sin comes in the yielding to that temptation, which Jesus never did. Jesus won the victory over the temptations and the devil. You can do the same thing if you'll do what Jesus did. There are three things that I've given you there. The first thing that it says of our Lord was that he was filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Look at it in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus to do this. The devil didn't come to Jesus. Jesus went to the devil to confront him, to overcome him. But notice not only, it says in Matthew 4, 11 that he would led by the Spirit. But listen to what Luke says. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. So two things are said about Jesus. He was full of the Spirit and he was led by the Spirit. If you'll have those two things in your own life, you'll be able to overcome any temptation that comes your way. The Bible tells us in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians that we are filled with the Spirit of the Lord and therefore we walk or led by the Spirit of the Lord. So you received the Holy Spirit when you got saved. You've got all of them that you'll ever get. So you're baptized by the Spirit. But the filling of the Spirit is something that can reoccur time and time again. There are times when I'm more full of the Spirit and led than, I, than at other times. And you, you are too. But the Holy Spirit lives within us. And if we are sensitive and aware of His presence in our lives and we yield to Him, then we'll be led by Him and we'll be filled by His Spirit and we will be empowered to overcome the temptation. So being filled and led by the Spirit is a major key. The second thing, of course, is to rely on the Word of God because that's what Jesus did. In all three of these temptations, Jesus responded by saying, It is written. It is written. It is written. So he quoted the scriptures. Now the devil can quote scripture too. And he did. He quoted to Jesus. He said, it is written that uh, the Lord Father has given command over all the angels that you'll not stump your toe and, and hurt yourself. But the, the thing about the Satan is he misquotes it. If you look up Psalm 91, where this passage of scripture comes from, you, you will discover that, uh, that he misquotes the scripture. Uh, and and uh, he left out part of it. Because it says that, uh, that the, the, the Holy Spirit will uh, not only help him, but help him to overcome. And just, just look up the verse and you can see he misquoted the scripture. But Jesus used the scripture. That's why I encourage you constantly to read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize verses of scripture. Because your mind is like a computer, a filing system. And if you'll put scriptures in memory of your mind, 
And then when you're tempted, the Holy Spirit's going to bring those things back to the surface of your mind and you'll be able to use them in your fight against the devil. So be filled and led by the Spirit and then be conscious of and memorize and use the Word of the Lord, the Bible, Scriptures. Paul says in Ephesians 6, that is the sword by which we defeat him. And the third thing is to be committed to do the will of God. You are a Christian. You say that you love Jesus. If you want to honor him, then be committed to do his will. Whatever it is. Jesus was, we already looked at Philipp, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, where it says that our Lord became obedient to do the will of the Father, that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So our Lord was obedient to follow the Father's will. He said, I did not come to do my own will. I came to do the will of the Father. So we know that it's not God's will for us to sin. And so be committed to do the will of the Lord. Resist the devil, the Bible says, after you have submitted to the Lord and he will flee from you. Now, now don't get it out of order there. James tells us in chapter 4 and verse 7, submit yourself to the Lord resist the devil, and then he flees. If you get that out of order, then you're going to yield to temptation. You, you don't resist the devil and then submit to the Lord. Don't, don't put it in that order. It comes, first of all, unconditional surrender to the Father, to the will of the Father. Submit yourself unto the Father. Resist the devil, and then the devil will flee from you. That's what Jesus did. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, Peter says, that he may exalt you in due time. Be of a serious mind and on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking anyone he can devour. But resist him and stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in other parts of the world. So you're not alone in this temptation business and you're not the only one who can be victorious if you'll follow those three things of being filled and led by the Spirit, be acquainted with the Scriptures and memorize it and use it as a sword and then be committed. Submit yourself to do the will of the Father and you will be successful. I close with this admonition. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You remember Philip going out there in the desert of Gaza to witness to the Ethiopian eunuch and he was reading from the prophecy of Isaiah that is the eunuch was and, he's, and, and Philip asked him do you understand what you're reading he said how can I unless somebody explains it to me so at the eunuch's invitation Philip gets up into the chariot and as they continue on their way he takes the prophecy of Isaiah and he begins this is Jesus this talks about Jesus this is what Jesus did when they came to this body of water the eunuch asked him the question, what prevents me from being baptized? And Peter said, uh, Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. Now notice what the eunuch says. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Philip said, okay, I'll baptize you. So they got down, both of them into the water, and he baptized the eunuch, but only after he confessed with his mouth what he believed in his heart, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let's bow together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for convincing us and convicting us of the truth 
that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who has saved us from our sins the moment that we trusted him in a repentant spirit of sin and embracing him and inviting him into our lives to be our Lord and our Savior. Many of us who are here today in this very room have done that very thing. But perhaps, Lord, there might be one, someone, a child, a teenager, university student, an adult, someone who may just be visiting with us today who's never fully realized until now who Jesus Christ truly is and that they would, through the revelation and conviction of the Holy Spirit, embrace him now as Lord and Savior to the honor and glory of our Father. May that will be done in their lives as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Andre is going to lead us in our hymn of invitation, and if the Holy Spirit should lead you uh, to come today, Bobby's going to come and help this morning as we invite people to come. So if you have a decision to make, he and I will be here at the front to receive you. So please, let's stand and sing. <laughs>